Welcome to Beach Houses and Babies, a private practice recap podcast. I'm Sam. On today's episode, we'll be chatting all about private practice season five, episode 19. Episode 19, and then there was one, was written by Jennifer Cecil and Elizabeth J.B. Claviter and directed by Tom Verica. It aired on April 24th, 2012. Enjoy! Today, we have public historian interested in the histories of women and work, as well as Molly McIntyre, co-host of one of my very favorite podcasts and co-author of a book by the same name, Dolls of Our Lives. She's back today, dear listeners. This is Allison Horrocks. Hi, thank you so much for having me. How are you? I'm great. I'm super excited to talk about this show and that we found some kind of like cool connections between other things that we like in this show. You know, honestly, I think I'm faring better than every doctor on this show, and that makes me feel good. And every patient, I'd say. (laughs) Every patient, I would say maybe every person except for Addison and her baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who are thriving. Oh, I'm definitely doing better than Violet at the moment. I'd say baby Henry is thriving. Like, he is living his literal best life. Yes, learning about you know the stars and the sun and just like what oxygen is he's he's thriving although we will talk later about safe sleep and how Addison is not following (laughs) safe sleep practices (laughs) you flagged some blanket problems I am excited because I think I revealed this the last time I was on I watched season one of Grey's Anatomy not knowing anything And so things that had been known to people for a very long time were a shock to me. Like the end of season one was a complete surprise to me. So I'm just always happy to see Addison happier. Yeah. Like she has drama in her love life still. I think she always will. But she seems a lot happier to me. I would agree. I I would say there's definite drama in her love life as of now. Oh, definitely in this episode. Yes, I don't know how far we want to get into this, but like suddenly she has a baby in her life and then men can't get enough. And I don't know if that's always the way of the world. It's certainly the way on like soap operas and nighttime network TV. But it's like very clear that she has enough complication in her life and two men are like, but what about me? Literally. (laughs) When can we go on a date? (laughs) Why are you kissing both of us? She's like, I don't know what end is up. Okay. They're real for that. (laughs) They are. They are. The same day, that was rough. Yeah. (laughs) So before we get into private practice as a whole, what else are you reading and or watching right now? So I I am reading some of my Christmas presents, including Mother Daughter Murder Night, which is a book I really wanted by Nina Simon. I just finished a few books, including The Wager, and uh, I got an advanced copy of a Lisa Gardner book. She's one of my favorite authors. It's called Still See You Everywhere. That's one of my absolute top series that I love, love, love to read. And I'm rewatching Sex in the City. The original? Yes. Don't look embarrassed. That's nothing to be embarrassed about. <laughs> this, this feels doctorly. Thank you. I am not so much embarrassed as I wish I was being called to other shows and sitcoms. And I'm just not. I feel that. I do. I do feel that. I, since the strike is over, thankfully, but especially during the strike and like in this weird still COVID world of ours and like not really being on set, I have been watching a lot of really old television, like Designing Women, Golden Girls. I'm really into Living Single right now. I'm watching it really slowly. It only has five seasons. 
So in the middle of the fourth season, I was like, I've got to slow this way down or else I'm not going to have any more new living single to watch. (laughs) That is true. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's so I'm loving that. I just finished Yellowstone and all of its prequels. Oh, you like horses. I like horses. I've ridden a few horses. I don't know that I have anything against Yellowstone. I think it was like a streaming service barrier for me more than anything. Like I've caught back. I started listening to some budgeting podcasts that made me think I could change my life. And I was like, sorry, Hulu. (laughs) Hulu was the first to go. She won't be the last. I am very proud of my Netflix account, which I've had since I believe 2007 or 2008. Like I have a very early account. The DVDs. And I can still, yep, I can scroll back through all of my DVD history still. And so I probably won't ever be getting rid of that, but I felt like a few other things I could, you know, trim on when needed. But I don't even know where Yellowstone lives. It's difficult, right? Because it streams on Paramount Network. Oh, I see. But it is not on Paramount Plus. It's on Peacock. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And there are now commercials for it on CBS. So maybe it's like living in syndication on CBS. But it's prequels. It has two prequels, 1883 and 1923. Oh. And they are on Paramount Plus. Okay. I will check those out. Yeah. 1883 is legitimately the saddest thing I've ever watched. Yeah. It's not a good time. No, no, no. It's about the Oregon Trail. So I should have known. I really should have known, but I didn't think about it, I guess. (laughs) You know, for all of these doctors' foibles, they do have some credentials, whereas you're living in 83 or 1923 and your medical experience, like, almost certainly subpar oh my gosh these people are drinking straight from a creek not boiling it and the people who know what to do they're like you have to boil that they're like why does my stomach hurt it's like best you have cholera (laughs) bestie (laughs) there there are now many resources that could help them like if a show makes me want to clutch my hand sanitizer I'm probably not going to watch it which doesn't mean it's a bad show it means like I am just getting over like being super sick for two weeks And so reading The Wager was like an interesting choice during that about a shipwreck. But I was like, you know what? It could be worse. True. Could be a lot worse. True. So what are your other favorite podcasts? I really like a lot of recap and sort of advice podcasts. Probably the one that I've listened to the most in 2023. And if people have recommendations for something like Goodreads for podcasts, I would love it. Same. I listen to... Yeah, to really like better understand what I'm listening to, I've gone back through almost the entire back catalog of the John Deloney show, which is like hundreds of episodes. It's a call-in advice podcast. Mm. He goes viral periodically for certain things. I've listened to most of the Ask Nick episodes of The Vile Files, which is Nick Vial's podcast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the show that I absolutely love that I binged this week was called Ghost Story, which is a Wondery podcast. That is absolutely fabulous. I highly, highly recommend it. It kept being recommended to me and I was like, I just need 24 hours to listen to it. It's a family story, a murder mystery story. It's an English podcast. Love it. Perfect. Oh, I love that. What do you listen to? Oh, well, there's this one called Dolls of Our Lives that I'm a bit backed (laughs) up on because I have all the Patreon content as well, but it's great. (laughs) And I Listen, we did Britney. We've covered a lot of things. It's okay. Literally, that's two down in my podcast right now. The next one is, it's Odd Lang Syne from the Smithsonian podcast. Do you listen to Side Door? 
No. So that's next. And then it's it's Brittany. Wonderful. Yes. Listen, yes. Monday being a podcast drop day with all the holidays is kind of it's kind of a weird, you know, cluster between December and January. But I really just love call-in shows. I love hearing like question and response. And I like to hear people who are either super qualified or not that qualified giving advice. So there's like something for everyone out there. Did you ever listen to Unqualified with Anna Ferris? I have listened to bits of that show. I've listened to a number of celebrity podcasts. I think a lot of those now, they feel so saturated. Yes. One of the few shows that I think I really adored, uh, Moshe Kasher and Natasha Legero have a podcast, Endless Honeymoon. They do a very good job. Some celebrities, I think, are like, well, of course I could do a podcast. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that it always translates, but I think some are very good. I'd agree. The only, like, celebrity recap podcast I'm listening to right now is Drama Queens, which is the One Tree Hill podcast. Oh. With the three main ladies from there. That's the only, like, celebrity recap podcast. Although there is one coming out about Bones that I'm very excited for. About what? what is it called? It's about Bones. I actually don't know oh, what it's bones. called. Yeah, yeah. So it's Emily Deschanel and Daisy, whatever Daisy's human name is. I love that. So it was it was going to start and the strike happened. So I'm really hoping it comes again now. But I'm really into that. There's one I just discovered called the Explores podcast, oh. which is another history podcast. And it's just about like not necessarily women's issues in history, but like I just listened to one about, so my grandma was born in 1929 and my other grandma was born in 1919, I think, or 1920. So I was really interested in like what the daily day would be like for a woman in the 1920s and 1930s. So they had one about like morning, afternoon, evening, and like all different types of women, like high class like the Vanderbilts and the Astors and then you have like working women and then middle class it was very interesting and then I also that's so cool yeah I thought so too I can send that to you I loved I love not not past tense currently love Queen's podcast oh and it's two friends and they just talk about women in history and there are so many swear words and so many like fun little jingles that they've come up with it's so funny and it's about women that I actually don't know about yeah I love that I also listen sometimes to a show called boss women of science mm-hmm. like that's a very good show but I I listen to I love true crime reenactment shows which I know like we share an obvious kinship for and I love shows that just recap those because I can kind of tune in and out so it's very good while I'm driving and I need to really pay attention because I can plug in and plug out and they repeat a lot of things so speaking of I just discovered last night that the episode that I was on of that true crime recap is on HBO Max now so I'm streaming on Max I get no money for it because there's no residuals in streaming yeah but if you want to check it out it's uh, I think it's season four episode five but it's of evil lives here on investigation discovery and it's called I've seen your show. Yeah. As you know. Dear yes. Oh yes. And I'm so I'm so happy about that. I'm telling the dear listeners, our our friends invisibly around us. It's called Under His Thumb of Evil Lives Here. Do you have anything to promote? We'd love it if people would check out the book that's inspired from the podcast. As you mentioned, it's called Dolls of Our Lives. I'm also working on a labor history project. If people want to find me online, if you do anything related to labor history, you don't have to be a historian. I'm putting together an edited collection for Roman and Littlefield. 
And we're trying to get people who work in all different kinds of life. So, you know, if you are a historian and you work at a labor history site, or if you are a practitioner who does something completely different, but you end up doing a lot of labor history, there's so many cool workplaces that have become something else, that have become a different kind of workplace, like a factory that's now a distillery. We're trying to get people who do all different kinds of things to contribute how they talk about work. So it's an essay edited collection, and you can find me online and reach out if you're interested. Oh, I love that. I didn't know that. So that's something that's kind of like newish and still working on getting contributions. And I think, you know, in your acting world, obviously there's a huge amount of conversations about work. So the goal is not just to have people who work at, say, a traditional labor history site, like the one that I work at, where we talk about strikes and factory work, but people who do all all manner of labor as part of their job. And just kind of getting different experiences around that. So we're targeting people all over the country, all different walks of life, just to kind of get more reflections on how to do histories of work and workers post-COVID. But it can be about anything. It's U.S. only or international as well? For now, it's U.S., yeah. And the goal is to give people kind of a new guidebook. It's part of a a series called Interpreting History, and it helps people who do this kind of work, no matter their background, to have new tools or or new skills. Oh, I love that. That's so interesting. I'm going to keep my ear out for that. And I will say the people who work at this hospital, like they could use some some like HR training maybe or, you know, maybe not labor history training, but, you know, some kind of baseline. I'd say for professionalism, some sort of just one day seminar on how to exist in an office in a co-op and in a doctor's office, just how maybe how to go through the world. Yeah, maybe how to like not have your divorce play out in front of patients. But like, that's me. I don't, you know. Yeah, I I don't want to step on anyone's toes. But Perhaps. Right. If they did ask, that would be a suggestion. Yeah. I'm just preparing for them asking me for advice. Yes. Oh, yes. Of course. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. And where can we find you online? So I'm at Allison Horrocks on Instagram, X, and accidentally on threads. I wanted to see a single thread and I signed up. So Um, I'm there now too. Yeah. They did. They finally got me. (laughs) Yeah. I love to connect with people. Instagram is probably the easiest place to find me because it's just my first and last name is my handle. Yes. Okay, so our patient breakdown for the week. We have first notes and miscellaneous per usual. Addison Forbes Montgomery. Amelia Shepard is pregnant. We have Pilar Rodriguez with a vascular spasm. This is only an under five walk and talk role, but she's included for reasons that will become apparent later in the podcast. We have Pete Wilder and Violet Turner with marital troubles. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> Not a surprise. Not a surprise. And Andrea Spencer with stab wounds and brain death. And then we've got a little bit on Mason as well. Yeah. And I know a little bit about the backstory between Mason, his mother. You know, maybe this is a controversial statement. It does seem like dad has moved on really fast. Oh, yeah. Maybe I'm okay. (laughs) But at the same time, he didn't have a relationship beyond one night in a car with Erica until Mason showed up. So I would say he is... Cooper is kind of acting like nothing happened, but I, I I, do sort of think giving him the benefit of a lot of doubts is he is taking care, he is taking Mason's care above his own. I think his problem or his challenge that I see breakthrough in this episode is 
he wants Charlotte to be a surrogate parent until she actually like really takes that on fully and then he kind of pulls some of the power back. This is my very uninformed opinion. No, once more for the people in the back, because you hit the nail straight on the head, I'll call you a contractor and a handyman. Okay. That is it. Okay, perfect. He's not my favorite in this episode. He, yeah, he alone, not my favorite. Him with Charlotte as a team is my favorite, and they are not working as a team right now. It's like he wants to come out on top. He wants to be the one who's doing the right thing. That's what it seems like to me. There's some sloppiness in this episode. Like we're learning that Mason is not communicating and that he's dealing with some incontinence. And the way that they kind of like wrote his father's character in this episode, it's like, but let's have this couch hookup. Like there's a lot going on that doesn't seem congruous to me. I would agree. Yeah. What's your very first note for the top of the episode? So one of the things, so I had thankfully your notes about Drea Spencer, right, who is one of the patients, and also about Pilar. And I was expecting kind of like in a Grace model to have like equal time for each patient, which really does not remotely happen in this. I will say I thought the opening of this was absolutely a beautiful moment that Addison Montgomery has had these two moments in her life where she felt really proud to be called something that the first time she hears herself being referred to as a doctor and then the first time that she hears herself being referred to as Henry's mom, that was a beautiful open. Like there's something about her character that I just really love and connect to like in a different way from other Grey's characters. I would agree. It's at the beginning of this season, they started monologues sandwiching the episode like on Grey's and sometimes they really feel out of place But this episode specifically, I thought was so well done, especially at the end when she's like, how much more time do we have? I'm way too happy to be here. Yeah, very interesting. Very interesting. And I liked the way that obviously one of the threads of this episode is that therapy is kind of woven in and it gives characters a chance to do a ton of explanation and exposition and it kind of loads a lot of that. One of the kind of weirder aspects of this episode is it felt very anti-violet to me. I would agree. It's uh, not as anti-violet as this podcast tends to be, but... (laughs) (laughs) but we've been like taking Pete's side of it, taking our own side of it. I think we're just seeing Violet in the light that Pete sees her in. Yeah. Not so much in the like romantic partner aspect of it, but in the what is not working, we're seeing it straight. But I think from the jump, Violet was right about Missy, about Drea's sister. She was right. And there's a number of lines that I wrote down from this episode He says in a moment, Pete does a moment of passive aggression. I'm sure we'll discover it was all my fault. Mm. And he also says things like, no offense, Violet, but you think you're right about everything. He also says, you insert yourself into people's lives. And it's like, you're all overworked doctors. Like, this applies to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And anytime you start a sentence with no offense, you mean to be offensive. (laughs) Right. This episode, I did not expect there to be... A sociopath but they delivered of course i also did not expect to get one of the most important amelia shepherd dr amelia shepherd monologues of all time to be dropped into this episode 
Like, you chose a great episode. I don't know, like, are we allowed to say it? Are we allowed to, like, share part of her monologue? Or should we save it? Let's save it until her section. We'll save it. But since we already started Pete and Violet, let's start there instead of Addison. We'll yes, I'm sorry. switch it up. I'm being totally chaotic. I'm being totally chaotic. Don't be sorry. Okay. Again, I <laughs> pretend that I am the therapist for um, Pete and Violet. This is okay, good. Perfect. This is so good when they're yelling at each Ugly other. Ugly is good. Ugly is great. Yelling is wonderful. Here for it. I know. I didn't. We didn't fully like get through like all of the Addison Forbes Montgomery like male drama, but like I don't think there's enough time on the planet. <laughs> no. No, the year would be done. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's something interesting about Violet and Pete to me. Like, to me, watching people in couples therapy is like nails on a chalkboard. Oh, I have yeah. a very hard time. I think it's very uncomfortable to watch. A lot of the advice podcasts I listen to, they want couples to call in. I'm like, you think you want that? You don't actually want to watch this. This show loves to do that. Well, this, like <laughs> Shondaland loves a yes. couples therapy moment. And yes. I am all for therapy for a person, like personally. But I do kind of feel like what Pete says at the end there is I want to have fun with you. Like you're a therapist going through every single fight we've ever had is not going to do anything for me. Like I know that I'm mad at you and why I'm mad at you, but I want to have fun with you. Yeah. And I love that he came at it from that angle. There's a moment where their therapist says like basically that was ugly and ugly gives me hope because at least you're being honest with each other. But I agree with you, like, not knowing these characters nearly as well as you do, these people need a day off. Yeah. I don't think they need more clinical context. They need to not be dealing with stabbings and sociopaths. They need to go to an all-inclusive. So the issue is, when they do take a day off, it is either because of a major tragedy <laughs> or they have gone to an all-inclusive rehab. Oh, boy. Not like PT, like Amelia, like drug rehab, drug and alcohol rehabilitation. So they need a right. day off. I think maybe they think as I like I, I fall into this trap sometimes of like I live near the beach, so I don't have to take a day off to go to the beach. Mm-hmm. So why do I need to go away? Have you ever been to an all inclusive like day inside Waterslide Park? Not inside Waterslide Park, but I am familiar with the concept. You're not living. I mean, honestly, if Pete and Violet take a day, they're called Great Wolf Lodges out by where I live. You go to the Great Wolf. If at the end of that day you have not had fun, you just break up. That's my policy. Like, that's kind of how I see things. There are things that I like about Violet. Obviously, like, you have more more history with them. It does kind of seem like they've lost the fun, as you say. Yeah, and he wants to get it back because if you're already, if your relationship is already in trouble, and I am pro couples therapy as well. I'm probably sounding super anti-therapy right now, but I feel like you go to couples therapy if you don't know what's wrong and you want to try to fix it. I feel like couples therapy is not as effective if you know exactly what is wrong. Correct. And I think even a therapist would say, like, are you here to describe and talk about your problems or to fix them? Yes. Yeah. And sessions have different purposes, right? Sometimes you have to explain things. You know, I've worked with people who I felt like had their foot too hard on the gas where it was like, well, let's move ahead to a solution. And to me, details matter. And I've had people who like focus too much on the details. And it's like, let's move on from the details. Like, yeah. 
we need the full picture and the full picture includes fun it certainly does and when you have two smart doctors in front of you they may not be the best at being able to move past that but maybe this whole show was Shonda's way of being like let me see like how much like how much of a partnership with better help I can get <laughs> can you imagine if if the whole <laughs> if they were like this season is presented by better help <laughs> Better help. Talk space. If you think <laughs> better help, talk space. Although I will say this, as a medical practitioner, I have the most confidence in Violet. Interesting. Maybe that's a hot take. Her interior monologue is no offense, but you think you're right about everything. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, no offense. Don't think you can talk for me, lady. No offense. <laughs> I love when the therapist is putting Violet in her place. Okay, so tell me more about kind of like your relationship and your arc with Violet. Like, tell me more about that. So she had the baby cut out of her, as she tells us again in this episode. <laughs> it's, it's not funny. It's just brought up so inappropriately in yeah. a conversation. I'm laughing because that's obviously such an iconic, important moment. And that paired with what's going on with Amelia, it's so much. But please continue. I'm but, sorry. No, but the thing is that my relationship with Violet is she brings up her personal issues with clients. Right. Way too much for my liking. <laughs> so she's bringing it up with Missy right now to get a reaction out of her and get to the bottom of this tragedy that has happened. But she brings it up like all the time with clients. <laughs> And I understand that it's it is traumatic, like there, and it's it's awful, and it shouldn't happen to anyone. But to bring it up in a professional setting when it's not called for multiple times a season just seems to be a lot. And my relationship with Violet overall is like could be worse. Like she could be, <laughs> she could be much worse. I think I hesitate to say I'd be friends with her, but I do feel like she'd be a good person to be friends with until she starts therapizing me at drinks. <laughs> which she would which is pete's issue yeah i i go really back and forth with her she hasn't been that awful this season last season she was pretty bad i will say this i think i misspoke i said that i had a lot of faith in her as a medical practitioner would i want to be friends with bones the character no no but she is one of my favorite tv characters of all time i love that show i love the dynamic of all the people on that show that's kind of how i feel about violet okay like she's really good tv to me because it's so over the top like the way that she has conversations with patients and other people is so obviously over the top also having addison be so happy in this episode was kind of generally disorienting and i i kind of like resonated a little bit more with violet's dark cloud vibe I respect that. Maybe, yeah. Thank you. That seems to be a, a bigger issue to, res to resound yeah. with a dark cloud, but it's a story for another podcast, an advice podcast, perhaps. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if, if they called in, I think that they would get a prescription for a day at a waterslide park. Definitely, indoor. That's my prescription. And when they inevitably get a rash, they have dermatology friends. It's okay. See, and that's what I think. I would love to have Violet, like, be... A neighbor of mine. Well, maybe not a neighbor because really bad stuff is always happening at her house. True. <laughs> but I would like Violet to be like a friend of my aunt's or like someone I see at the coffee shop 
or something. Like, I'd like her to be tangentially in my life so that, first of all, I can hear the tea that's going on in her, in her around her because it's <laughs> would be entertaining. But also to be like, hey, I have this friend who doesn't have emotions. Are they going to kill me? <laughs> that kind of thing. I'd like to have her like surrounding me but I I wouldn't want to just like have lunch with her all the time like Addison does you don't want to be her neighbor I think there's a day where the trash man is late and she's like you know I did have a baby cut out of me and you're like yeah I did remember that from the last time this happened like (laughs) I think it would be uncomfortable to be in close environs with her and I think that she and her husband are yelling after hours mm-hmm, quite mm-hmm. a bit. Or having very uncomfortable conversations like you're backing your car out at the same time as them and they're having the world's most hostile negotiation over nothing. Oh, yeah. You don't want to be near that. I also kind of feel like they just let Lucas in the backyard by himself a lot. <laughs> yeah. And knowing the neighborhood they live in, like coyotes abounding, don't know if that's a great idea. I just kind of, I kind of feel like maybe that's it. At 1542, we see a photo of the two of them at their wedding on Pete's desk. And I don't remember seeing that before. Oh, it was a Zoom, too, because I read that in your notes and like it was you were supposed to see it. Oh, yeah. It was specific, a specific shot over his shoulder looking at Sam. Sam. Yeah. I also my last note about these friends is that I do believe that Violet does not realize when she corrects or interrupts Pete. I do think that she's trying. I think they're both trying. Yeah. Now Pete is actually trying. But do you think they're going to work it out? I kind of see them breaking up. I don't know. I think maybe this is my own sort of pessimism about certain things. But I I think that really good relationships take a lot of work. And I also think kind of echoing Pete when it feels like all work, it's time to punch the clock that that's maybe my kind of pessimism coming through on that but I don't think they're going to work out I think it's just realism of punching the clock yeah yeah I I do also see like I think when someone's dominant quality becomes something that you can no longer admire or even tolerate which is what I'm seeing in my very like limited purview through this episode I think that's a a very serious time to reevaluate Like, Violet's attention to detail and her sort of obsession with, like, swooping in and diagnosing is a huge part of who she is. So if that's something that you no longer want to be around, first of all, maybe don't work together, which I know is part of the premise of this show. (laughs) But to me, that's always a big red flag, right? I don't think that people are fundamentally good or bad, productive or non-productive. There are just qualities where if it's consistently annoying to you, it's time to reevaluate. That's what I see with them. Thank you for that insight. Oh, you're welcome. The thing... Not that kind of doctor, but... (laughs) The thing that I've been thinking about a lot with these two specifically is, first of all, they haven't been together for very long, but also besides the major traumas that they've been through, they haven't changed as people so like Hmm. they're essentially they keep saying you're not the person I married but they don't seem that much more different to me right right just my two cents I think too like I think what's interesting about these shows right and I like shows that kind of position people in different eras of life when you're watching a show about super accomplished surgeons and they're all entering into relationships they're entering into these dynamics much later in life right If you're watching Teen Mom, those are people who are in 
serious relationships or semi-serious relationships at 14 to 17. These people are literally double at least that age when they start these relationships. So I think maybe our expectations of them are a little bit different. I agree. You have a fully developed frontal lobe, so you should be more yourself than you were. You would hope that for them. But Addison seems, you know, like she's getting a lot of like maybe unwanted attention, maybe not. You know, I think maybe for her, it's like she focuses on one to two things at a time and men are not at the highest top three right now. I'd agree. Shall we go on to Addison? I would love to. I would love to talk about Addison. Her interviewing nannies was iconic. Like we haven't even talked about like what is really the emotional center of this episode, which is either the sociopathy or the like revelations about Amelia. But seeing her kind of like being in love with her son and like vetting nannies, honestly, I felt very seen by her comment that she hated that one of the nannies smacked gum. I was like instant fireable offense for me. Yeah, for sure. Because where are you putting the gum when when you're done if they're in your house? That's right. like... Right, absolutely. Yeah, no. My first Addison note is, of course, she has on Chanel diamond stud earrings. <laughs> I haven't seen those since, well, 2012. <laughs> no. there. This, this did prompt me to look up how old this episode was because I really loved the fashion. And I, I realized through a video online, it was like, if you're still wearing all these things, you're stuck in the 2010s. And I was like, oh, that's... That's what I wear every day. So <laughs> I felt at home in this episode, not with the level of style, but the basic sense of fashion like made a lot of sense to me. I, I think what's, you know, undercutting all of this as well is seeing her desperately want to have a mom friend and losing her relationship really with Amelia, that Amelia fires her as her OB that she's struggling, right, to find childcare. She can't talk to her very best friend. Maybe not very best friend, but she can't talk to this person. Yeah. Who she's related to and works with, right? Mm -hmm. All these different dynamics that she can't actually do much about. I think that's how you end up with the weird boy mom comment. For the first time in forever, I have the man I want. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I feel the same way. I, uh, I don't quite know what to say about it, but it was I, the boy mom comment. That's, that's the way to put it. <laughs> it's that she said that I have the man I want. Not that, like, I'm focusing on my child. I'm focusing on being a great mother. I have the man I want. No, you're, you're raising a baby. If she would have said the guy I want, this one... <laughs> pointing to him it's just I think the man of it all really yeah and the fact that these are really like two very separate things right it's like she has this love triangle and now an adoptive child let's not talk about those as being part of the same right yeah yeah the way that it's written so this was written by two writers and I I'm all for collaboration obviously but I do feel like when there are two writers on one episode little hiccups like this happen Mm, say more just it's when it's one writer so when you're in a writer's room everyone works together to like put the storyboarding together and like bounce stuff off the wall and see what sticks and see what see what's going to happen and then one person goes off and writes the episode writes the dialogue comes back and then they you know pump it up together but when two people are doing the original script 
I just feel like writing is a one-person game. Of course, except for the um, masterpiece that is Dolls of Our Lives, the book. <laughs> but television writing, I should say. No, but there's that question of voice. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I think that's super interesting. And I wouldn't have really flagged that. I mean, I think part of what I like about your perspective is you know how TV works. I watch TV probably very differently than how people who've had industry experience do. Oh, yeah. That's why I can't watch some things. <laughs> that everyone's like I'm obsessed with this I'm like I can't do it I like recap podcasts where they talk about or they speculate about or they have some knowledge of like how would they have done certain things like that is super interesting to me and especially with true crime shows some of which are like pretty high budget some of which are pretty low budget hearing people kind of speculate like well this is probably how they did x or y like I love that yeah that's me so no, I, you know, Addison is like much changed since the last time that we chatted, obviously. And I think there's something about Shondaland. They love an adoption, right? They For love sure. an extreme birth. They love an extreme like extraction as we've, you know, discovered through this series. But I think part of it too, like I was actually really struck by the end of the episode and her saying like, I'm way too happy to be here that kind of made me think she has a bad therapist because she's just become a mom for the first time and doesn't really have a lot of support other than people she's paying, really, like, Mm -hmm. to be kind of crude. And they're not really having a conversation about, like, what a seismic shift that would be for a very accomplished doctor who's lived a very different life up to that point. The thing that I have been thinking of is, like, all season this therapist says nothing and this episode (laughs) we actually see his face for the first time since the beginning of the season and back to the knowing tv of it all I'm really interested in what this contract looked like but I'll figure that out another day (laughs) um but yeah like there are things to talk about therapy isn't because you're you're sad therapy is coming up with you know tactics and and ways to deal with things how do you deal with a neurotic mother to be when you've been up all night with your baby like how do you you know deal with Sam and Jake fighting over you when that is not your focus at the moment and it's not all about like just venting to someone. You can hire someone to vent to. You're going to a therapist to get their expertise. When she gets confronted with the line, I know you kiss Jake, it's like she's dabbling in like eighth grade dalliances while raising a child. It's a it's a bizarre, like I liked her in this episode, but there's kind of like weird plot lines coming together. Yeah, the Sam of it all in this episode was really confusing for me, I do have to say, because for seasons now, it's been, I love you, I want to be with you, but not if you have a baby. I want to be with you forever, but not if you get pregnant. I'm already a dad (laughs) and a grandpa. I don't want to be yours. And now she has a baby in her arms, and he's still like, okay, it's time now. Like, king of mixed signals. I just want to sit down with the HR person for this hospital. Like, is she going to actually take any significant time truly off like she's bummed that she's (laughs) that she's not able to provide support for her friend Amelia which I understand but at the same time it's like we could take like a little bit of a break you could take a maternity leave of some kind yeah if you remember Dr. Bailey did that whacked out consult for Addison when she had the inconveniently placed poison ivy or poison oak immediately after giving birth yeah if I remember. That's like a weird circle back. Yeah. 
if <laughs> like I know uh, yeah it's a pivotal moment of my life there that's why I never go to the bathroom <laughs> in the woods people ask me if I want to go camping I say is there a bathroom because I'm not trying to end up like Addison in the middle of the woods was that from the bathroom or from other things that is from the bathroom she was living in Derek's okay. trailer and that's right. I think that's right. he was in the shower and she couldn't wait that's so, right. Because it's a trailer bathroom, so, you know, everything's kind of in, like, a one square foot. So she went to the bathroom and peed on poison oak and wiped herself. And, mm, ooh, change the subject now. <laughs> <laughs> but happier things, like Amelia Shepard. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I do have a few more things for Addison. Yes, please. Of course she's passing out hand sanitizer. <laughs> yes. It's weird to me that Sam is mad at Jake. For this because yes first of all he he and addison are not together and also he doesn't have a right to be mad at addison i mean he has a right to be mad at addison i guess he doesn't have a right to be mad at jake at this point sam says to pete which i'm not sure how much in the depth you've gone back into the podcast but um addison and pete were together at the beginning of the series so the fact that sam goes to pete and says jake kissed addison lol sam buddy so did pete and then jake goes to pete and talks to Pete about Addison and Sam and Addison and him. And Jake is like, is there anyone this practice that Addison has not kissed? <laughs> the truth is nothing is private in this practice. No. Like, we've we've known. But, you know, like, like, it's a shock that these people maintain HIPAA because. Well, they didn't. And that's why they had to change their name. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's HIPAA, true. don't know her. <laughs> Is that a new client, HIPAA? New patient at noon? Like, they're like, oh, are they going to do therapy for us with better help? <laughs> you also raise a great point that like, you know, they're all having us look over here, like creating smoke and mirrors. And yet somehow Addison doesn't know about safe sleep, which is iconic. That's not funny. It's just funny. Oh my God. Okay. It, it's not funny. Haha. It's funny. Oh. Yeah. I texted my cousin who is more than 10 years older than me and her girls are now in high school. She has twin girls. And I sent her a voice memo last night and I said, Laura, did you know about safe sleep? Did you know that babies weren't supposed to sleep with blankets? She was like, yeah. She was like, I very much knew that. Like some older people said it was fine, but we didn't do that. And she, then she said, I, I still check to see if they're breathing in their sleep. And I was like, I do the same thing. But so yeah, Addison, a dear, sweet, double board certified neonatal surgeon, obstetrician surgeon, had her baby sleeping with a blanket under him, <laughs> a blanket over him, and a hat. Safe sleep, dear listeners. We don't want Henry to get SIDS. We're also like going out and looking at the stars like barely clothed. So there's a lot of mixed messages about temperature regulation happening at this household. I, I do have to say by the beach you never know like when you're when you're when you're on the water I can see like when she went to go talk to Amelia and she had those like tiny shorts on and a sweatshirt I said I feel that I literally feel that that in my temperature regulation that is also that's actually what I was wearing last night when I was watching the episode (laughs) see fair shorts and a sweatshirt I think that this baby is her pride and joy I know that there's not like a ton of private practice left but if you think like if we could drop in on those two in 2023, like the baby is now 13, how do you think that relationship's going? I really hesitate to say because, uh, first of all, Addison has been back on Grey's Anatomy. Oh, so we, with this child? Uh, you can't say. I can't say because she has not officially adopted this child. So we don't know if this child is staying in her life. The mother has chosen 
her to be Henry's mother, but there is like no finalization of the adoption that has happened. Wow. Okay. So I hesitate to say on air. So you're telling me, right, like we're not in the super safe sleep zone with Addison, right? Like very accomplished medical practitioner. This is just my ignorance coming out. Baby doctor. A baby doctor. Baby doctor. Is auntie, air quotes, Meredith Grey going to visit this house? Oh my goodness. In 2012 or you mean ever? 2012. Like this season, like do we see Meredith Grey interacting with Henry? I don't see that happening. Okay. If it were Mark Sloan, I'd say yes, please. Oh, okay. I would love to see Mark Sloan coming over. I don't think Derek is going to come over. But uh, no, I don't. Although this baby is the same age about as Meredith's oldest daughter, Zola. Oh, okay. So I would hope Meredith and Derek's older do- oldest daughter, Zola. So I would hope that if Henry stays in the Montgomery household, which we're hoping he is because everyone's super happy right now, I would hope that as they grow, Zola and Henry become buddies. I'm with that. Yeah. Well, you said everyone's happy. This Dr. Shepard is not happy. (laughs) Not me. Do you have more Addison content that is not about Amelia? Because that is like really a huge part of this episode. Yeah, this is a really tragic plot line for Amelia. Yeah, no, I, um, that's all I've got for Addison. We have just a quick voice note to come in from dear guest host Mimi, who last episode was like, oh my god, Addison's baby and Amelia's baby are gonna grow up and be besties. They're gonna go on auntie and me play dates. Um, so we have a sweet little voice memo here from dear, dear co-host Mimi. Okay, maybe it's because, like, I'm watching this in the daylight or I'm not PMSing or whatever, but I actually didn't end up crying in this episode. I feel like it was, like, weird because we found out in a weird way. This episode kind of, like, time jumps and we don't really see Addison tell Amelia. And then just, like, her talking to Addison was really impactful and empowering and sad, but it also made me really angry at her which I know isn't justified because, like, apparently her child doesn't have a brain, which I didn't know is possible, and I'm, like, very confused about that because we didn't really discuss it. But she was just awful to Addison. I don't know. Am I a bad person? I felt like last episode was way more sad with Erica and Mason, but maybe I'm just a monster. I don't know. Yeah, the monologue that we are going to quote soon. I'm hoping you're going to do a dramatic reading for us. I would love to. And she basically says, I'm a neurosurgeon and my baby doesn't have a brain. Amelia is pregnant, over 20 weeks pregnant, with a baby who doesn't have a brain. She would say that God has a sense of humor, a wicked sense of humor, but he doesn't exist. She's in a very dark place this episode and we see it come out right from the gate with the way that she interacts with her friends, with her co-workers, with the way that a random patient talks to her. It's very clear that basically everything at her workplace is triggering her Mm -hmm. right now. Even having to tell the parents of a patient that their daughter is brain dead is extremely triggering to her but she kind of powers through and I think what was kind of a really useful aspect of this episode 
she talks a lot to her coworkers about how her baby has no future. She says that several different times and explicitly at one point. And I really appreciate it just for like people watching the way that that's pushed back on. And someone says, but you do. Because she's really given up on herself as well. And there's kind of a contrived part of this episode where she comes to see it that her baby will have, you know, a chance to be an organ donor. But she really like gives up on her own mental and physical health in this episode. And one of her colleagues says, you're a doctor. You know you need blood and urine tests. Because she's fired her whole team, which is, like, shocking. Yeah, yeah. I I think she, until she hears from Jake that her drug use and her activities did not cause this to happen to her fetus, I think she is blaming herself and looking to punish herself. But I am very glad that Jake stepped in. I have a note later that says Jake and Amelia's friendship is so beautiful And we're starting to see it now. I really like them together. Just how I like Pete and Charlotte together. They like don't really make sense. But at the same time, they make perfect sense together. And they're great with each other. Just like seeing how they started out when when Amelia was spiraling in her addiction. And how he even left the intervention. To this, just like 10, 11 episodes later, is beautiful growth. And like he doesn't. They don't know each other very well, let's say. But I also... Yeah, it's that person who has like a little bit more distance who can tell you things. Yes, yes. Just like how Sheldon is. And Sheldon's not here at the moment. But it's it's the distance, I think, that makes it work. And he... I, I'm really, really glad that the Drea situation showed her, oh, my baby can do good. Yeah, and we haven't talked a ton about the patient, Drea Spencer, because the patient is not really, like, the patient who is stabbed is not really the one who gets that much attention. It's really the fact that it's her sister who did it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if we're going to talk more we about will. that later. But, yeah. you know, that's kind of, like, the shock that comes out of that. But there are so many times, like, we've kind of talked about this before, the way that Amelia just keeps showing up to work, I think something really important for people to to see in the episode, they're worried about her on a personal level. And there's also the fact that like she's really not functioning. Like she's pale. She's catatonic. She's not delivering high quality care. She's so angry. She's so furious at like the world and her friend Addison. And I think it's important too that people are saying like, you are at very high risk for relapse and you're also not able to show up fully. Like that I think was an important conversation for people to see. Yeah, I agree. Going back just a bit to the front when they're getting ready to do Amelia's ultrasound and Addison says, are you ready? And I'm not sure that I'm ready. No. And then Addison sees something on the screen and looks like she's about to pass out. And honestly, so did I. Yeah, it's pretty shocking. Yeah. Yeah, it took everything that I had to hide my face in these past few episodes with Sheree and with Mimi and all these all these sweet, sweet, dear, dear co-hosts who had these bright plans for this child. And now we learn that he has no brain, which we will hear more about in the next few episodes, I think. Amelia is not living with Addison right now. She's living in Sam's home, 
which is right next door. They don't share a wall, but they might as well. I am sure that she can still hear the baby crying. And don't get me wrong, I am very happy that she is with her community and she hasn't isolated herself off in some hotel somewhere doing God knows what. But I don't know, maybe, well, Charlotte has enough on her plate. (laughs) Amelia sitting with Violet, no thank you. But maybe she would stay in Sheldon's house when Sheldon's not there. But then, of course, we would have to see what Sheldon's house looks like, which would be a whole other set. And (laughs) Not happening. (laughs) No. All these people are surgeons, but we can't afford that. No, of course not. Of course not. (laughs) I also loved when Addison was talking about watching the beauty show, the beauty pageant. And she said, we can make mean jokes during the talent portion. I said, I feel that. (laughs) And I love that for them. I love that that's their normal relationship. I think people are trying so hard to be there for her. And I think there is a reality, right? Like when people feel as though other people don't understand what they're going through, they just kind of, I think you saw like really brilliantly actually in this episode, it's like, well, you did it. You pushed everyone away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? And things didn't get better for her. And it really broke my heart when Amelia says to Charlotte, like, you checked in, Addison checked in, Violet checked in, like, you can check me off your to-do list. Mm-hmm. And Charlotte's like, we're not you're not on our to-do list no we are genuinely worried and we care about you and even if they were just like again if this was some other show or some sitcom where they didn't have a medical background they know too much right and I think that's another theme of this episode like Violet knows too much in basically every interaction these people know too much clinically about what's going on with her and they also know that she's not taking care of herself And I think where Amelia's defensiveness comes in is she thinks it's a criticism that she's going to use again, which she's not. Mm -hmm. Well, at least for now. Yeah. Apparently Addison doesn't know too much about safe sleep, though, but that's a... It's an issue for me and the set decorator, I think. <laughs> There's not a ton of like parenting role models, I would say, <laughs> in this in this universe. And no, especially for her. Addison was definitely raised by nannies. Yeah. Even when you think about the show Scandal, it was always like, oh, maybe these two will have children. It's like, he has children? But, you know, anyway, <laughs> neither here nor there. <laughs> he has no, no, he has children. Are they here? Are they there? Or they're not here nor there. They are not accounted for. No. They will be sacrificed for his presidential campaign, as it turns out. But for sure. <laughs> and there's that. Womp womp. Amelia really loves to take all of her anger out on Addison every time she's in a crisis, doesn't she? Like, we have a giant 180 from our last episode and the one before that of Amelia being afraid to make Addison jealous or making Addison afraid. And something really big that Mimi that Mimi brought up is Addison didn't just have this baby with no issues. Like, she's been trying to get Mm-mm. pregnant for the entirety of this series. Yeah, and that's a through line for a lot of people in Shondaland. And a lot of people in real life, too. Issues with adoption, issues with conception, issues with carrying to term. You do kind of wonder, like, why make Addison's situation so extreme? kind of wish they didn't, but at the same time, it makes great television. I, I do think, like, if, if we want to share it, right? Like, the fact that this episode got just over a 7 in IMDb and has these very important lines by Amelia, I was like, I would bump it up. Oh, for sure. I would give this... For those lines alone. Yeah, if we were doing numbers of our rating and not the rating score that we do, the last episode, I think I'd give a nine where Erica dies. I think I'd give that a nine. This, I think I'd... Not much higher than a seven. I think I'd give it like 
a seven and a half just because mm. I personally am not a huge fan of the order that they did this in. Like they made us wait a really long time to know what was wrong with this baby. Got it. And I wish we could have seen Addison tell Amelia. Like, okay, so we have the scene, the cold open with trying to do the ultrasound. And then it goes to the opening credit or it goes to commercial. It comes back. We see Pilar and we see Amelia giving her her diagnosis. We see her like we see Amelia kind of shuddering away and walking away and Charlotte and Violet. And then Addison comes in with Henry and we see Amelia being comfortable with this and Addison being like, he has an appointment. Like, I'm not trying to shove this in your face, which Addison should be able to bring her baby to her like right but that's a whole other thing and that then immediately instead of going to the kitchen and us seeing everyone meet henry which is important but we can say that at another time i would have loved if we went straight back to the ultrasound and have amelia see it and have addison say it right right. i wanted to see that i didn't want to wait half an episode to find out what was wrong it was very soap opera to me. Yeah, and not that this isn't a soap opera, but <laughs> I, I just wanted, I want to see, I want to see it. Like, I'm, I'm watching it to see what happens. I'm not watching it to see the after effects before we know what happens. Yeah, kind of a strange choice. And I had to, like, do additional research to figure out, like, when exactly, like, people knew what. Because it felt very just, like, thrown in. Because mm-hmm. I watched this episode, like, early last week basically so I was kind of piecing everything together with like where the show was and how when people would have known certain things and it felt very uh dropped in for such a shocking piece of information yeah the storyboarding of the order of how things happened I would redo but then again they don't pay me the big bucks (laughs) (laughs) that's all I have for Amelia I Again, because I know I'm afraid to say too much, but that's what I have. To say I'm excited to see where things go is not quite the right verbiage, but I am intrigued to continue the journey. And we certainly know more about her than Pilar Rodriguez, who I'm fascinated by because in the time it took me to say that person's name, that's like the length of our time with this character. Yes. Why? I was confused because she's on the breakdown in Grey's Wiki, which is Bible, obviously, as like um, as major of a character as Amelia or Drea. Um, (laughs) And it's really, really strange to me, just to give you some insider baseball again, that she has a full first name and last name. Usually a character with a role of this size will have like just a first name or even be called like just vascular patient or patient number one (laughs) or something like that. And agents often have to get involved to give characters like this names for the actor's credits. And that's likely what happened here because when you're looking down an IMDb or like a resume and if you're in a casting room, it's going to be more impressive to see a character's name. Right. And you put like under five co-star guest star, but it's more impressive to say like my name is Bethany more than woman with dog. It's also true now that you say that our other patient who gets a lot of a lot more attention is Drea Spencer. We learn her sister and her father's name. But I believe her mother never really gets named. I don't think she does. Yeah, because they point out, I believe the dad's name is Doug or something, and he gets named and he has like, they all have quite a few lines, not as many as Missy. And Drea never gets a line because she's been stabbed. But yeah, different, different experiences here. So I'm wondering if Drea's contract looked more like the therapist contract. 
Oh. Because they're both on screen but don't talk. The therapist has like a little like laugh to himself or like a yes. So I'm looking up to see if they're both weird. Okay. So Scott Allen Smith as therapist is a co-star. This dad's name is Gary. The mom's name is Mm -hmm. Jasmine. And then Missy. But I don't even see Drea credited. To be fair, we don't see her a ton. No, and it is, it's possible it was even, yeah, she's not credited. She doesn't have an actor name. It's possible this is the same as with a few seasons ago, Georgie, where it's the, the woman in the um, nursing home-ish who was in a coma and was still impregnated by her husband. Um, she didn't have a character name. She had a hmm. character name. She didn't have an actor name. Wondering if they just had a really intense mannequin yeah interesting we meet her because the sister kind of alerts us to this crisis and i'm thinking like gosh this girl is too young to be rushing into the hospital and we just learn that she's been stabbed and she's about to bleed out Mm -hmm. i wrote down deeply traumatic situation this was like a very intense sequence on the show and then I think that the character of Drea kind of becomes a vehicle to show off the parts of Violet that other people don't like because Violet inserts herself in the situation of initially trying to comfort her sister Misty, Missy and then assuming that Missy might be a sociopath and may have done the stabbing and coaxing it out of her. I agree. I would I would um, actually beckon to say, hinder to say, I would whatever to say they don't like or don't see in Violet. Mm. Or look past in Violet. It's a truly wild storyline. I am always on the SVU side of things. Like, if it's not Grey's, it's Law & Order. So, of course, I'm going to to psychopath, sociopath for Missy. Oh, and, of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I also, I do like to call out when, like, the show doesn't really center the patient in their own care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the father is, I guess, trying to. But I really, I really felt for the mother when the dad was like, she murdered our daughter and or she stabbed our daughter. The mother said she is our daughter. It's yeah, I think the father saw this coming or the father knew what was going on a bit at least. Maybe he just thought it was normal teenage stuff. But he said something to Violet at the top like, I don't need your lecture on what I'm doing wrong as a parent. (laughs) Like, she's stepping out too much. Great start. Exactly. Exactly. It's like, okay, it's cool. So you know something's wrong. But uh, what? That was an amazing moment because we immediately got, you know, the future of this family is that Dad Gary is never going to the Correctional Institute to visit Missy. Not once. will. They are definitely getting divorced. Like, they're going to bump into, like, other characters on this show in the courthouse, whether they're doing adoption or divorce. It seems like dad sobered up real quick and I kind of got the vibe of he was like, how old am I? Can I start over? Yes. Yeah, literally. (laughs) Like, I think that he very quickly was sad about his dead daughter, Drea, and also kind of doing some math and thinking like, my wife is in denial and my daughter's a sociopath who's Mm -hmm. about to be locked up. And he was like, I'm changing my name to like Jim and going to Iowa. <laughs> I was going to say Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> like, Gary is getting the heck out of Dodge. Gary is moving on. He is. I don't have anything more for Drea or Pilar. No. 
Sadly, no more for Pilar. No, sadly. Although she may come in on a spotlight later, if you know what I mean. She'll be back in a different way. (laughs) (laughs) Mimi brought up in our last episode about how Cooper hasn't had a patient like all season. And I'm realizing that a lot of these people haven't had a patient like all year because we've been so focused on Erica. (laughs) Amelia has like helped she helped erica but like addison hasn't really had a patient really that we've seen like full through we're just really focused on our main cast right now i think cooper and charlotte's midday work hookup threw me off because it was intense and charlotte kept trying to change the subject i understand that there's like limits on their housing situation that child actor is very good it's a sad situation right this season is so good yeah this idea that he's basically stopped talking and you know honestly i really loved the way that charlotte kind of drew something out of him that she kind of called off the cold war and was able to get him to talk about his mother which is probably very hard for him to do i thought that was actually really beautiful right like the first time you realize that someone who's passed that you can't remember what they sound like or mm-hmm. you can't remember what a certain experience was like that was so heartbreaking and i was so mad at his father for not taking that note and saying we're going to get like a video of your mom and like put it on some kind of device so you can play it. Instead, he takes it out on Charlotte. I do feel like Erica would have done little tapes for Mason, you know, like something to play at his high school graduation, something to play when he gets into college, something to play when he gets married. Like I, I do feel like Erica would have done that we did not see her do it but it just seems like something that she would think to do it must have not been in the budget of this show I'd say I'd say like perhaps within the budget of these people but not (laughs) on the budget of this show yeah you have a lot of like interior design questions and I'm wondering if people have broken down like what the particulars of these living situations actually are because they do seem confusing I'm sure that they have. So um, in the beginning of season four, the two of them were looking for a house because they live in a studio apartment. How are they going to send Mason to his own room, I ask? Later in the episode, (laughs) we see his room. I don't know where that extra room came from. Like, did they buy the apartment next door and he's living in his own apartment? Like, we didn't break down any walls. (laughs) Where is this? Like, it, it has been such an issue that they don't have enough space and they want more space. Like, that has been abundantly clear. First, I thought maybe they're still living in Erica's house where Mason used to live. And then I started thinking, oh, my God, there's so much that they have to do in the wake of Erica's death. I I really don't know if this is a two-writer issue or what. I do think (laughs) that, like, the incontinence and all of this stuff that Mason is going through is valid and definitely what would happen to a child of this age who went through something like this. But there's no extra room because if there was an extra bedroom, that's where (laughs) they would sleep. They wouldn't sleep in the living room with, like, a divider. Right. And it's, I don't know, I think there's a lot of questions for the accountants of these people to take on. Like, we can't take on those questions, but somebody definitely should. Like, where is the parental leave? You know, these are, like, for other people to litigate. But yeah, that casual remark, like, you picked up on that in a way that I would not. But it's like, these people both need, like, more literal walls and, like, more boundaries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Walls figurative and literal. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I also love that Charlotte went to go fill up her coffee cup 
and that's when that conversation with Amelia happens um, after we saw her kick it over and spill it during her moment in the woods with Cooper. Yes. So I like that we went to go see her kick, fill up the coffee cup. I did really appreciate Tom Verica's direction of us seeing her kick the coffee cup over and then in the next episode bring her in because I feel like a lot of times, especially in film, it's like actor wise you're saying like why am I here like why is this person coming into this room (laughs) (laughs) and I like that we had that little through line absolutely I think that's all my notes yeah we covered we covered everything for me oh my gosh amazing okay our Sam's style this episode is I'm calling it Amelia's bandage dress it's black and white it's a very specific style bandage dress huge in the 2010s Everybody wore them in college. I didn't. I just did not feel comfortable in them. But um, kind of stripey, but like different stripes of fabric. Hard to explain. She looks great. Also, I think she had a bump it in the back. So hair and makeup always on point. And I didn't write it down, but at one point, Addison says, you look pale. You need iron. I don't want you to get gestational anemia. <laughs> right. And then there's a scene, I think it's with Jake, where Amelia looks like as pale as a Victorian child. Yes. And I swear, they kept, like, panning from the paleness of her face to the dark black tones of the dress. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's actually... So hair and makeup is always on point. Wardrobe is always on point. And I feel like they did work together because if you put her in a color she looks great in, she's going to look flushed and vivid no matter how much they try to make her look pale. She did look pale, and I think it was also to make her look a little bit dour. Not that she would be expected to wear like a sundress to her job at a medical private practice, but... But why not? (laughs) They did seem to like linger also on the fact that like she has the bump. The bump is visible. She's not trying to hide it, but she's not wearing maternity clothes, really. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that was part of it as well. I The sweatshirt that I am currently wearing, I thought that M at Old Navy stood for medium, in this case, it stands for maternity, and the tag literally says the stork was a lie. And in case you're wondering who sells your data, first of all, it fits me horribly, so I only wear it at home. When I purchased this, the inundation of immediate maternity stuff in my inbox, so I had to do some like internet like debugging of this situation. It is a maternity sweatshirt, so I only wear it at home. I just thought it was slouchy around the waist. But that is what M stands for. Wow, this stork was a lie. That's what's getting me. That's what it says on the tag. So to this point, I raise you that it is a perfect spot for your cat to hang out in the wintertime. Don't look at it as a mistake. Look at it as an opportunity. (laughs) It is comfortable and unattractive. It is not like... This is not what Amelia is choosing to wear during her actual pregnancy. Like, she is wearing a very form-fitted, but also very dark and kind of, like, it's giving, like, she had to go to a funeral last minute. Oh, yeah. Because she is kind of mourning. So, I get that. Yeah. Tell me about our guest star spotlight. So, you know, we did something kind of interesting, which is, like, I think that we're choosing to give voice to the character who had the fewest you know, lines and, you know, the least appearance. So our spotlight is on Idara Victor. So she is the person who plays the character with the vascular issue. So not the young person who is stabbed by her sister. 
And she came up through the pageant world and she is a December baby. So I feel like it's appropriate for when we're shooting this. Yeah. And she has been on a number of sitcoms, a number of shows, but perhaps most importantly and shockingly to me, she played a woman named Frances in the Melody movie. She played Melody's mom, Melody being an American girl. Yes, Melody, the American girl. Melody, the American girl has a film, which Amazon has unfortunately basically shelved and nobody can see it now, but it's called No Ordinary Sound. It was produced uh, for Amazon Prime and this young woman played Melody's mother. So mother to like a 10 year old and teenager. She plays Frances. Wow. Yeah, that's what I was I was shook by. She's also in one of my favorites, Brazilian Isles. She plays Nina Holiday. And I uh I'm shocked she plays the mother. I thought Frances was the sister of Melody. I had to look to check to make sure that I and I will check again to make sure that I am not misspeaking. She's been on a number of shows. Uh, the Minx, it looks like she had 18 episodes. She was on Turn, which you were mentioning about. She plays Frances Ellison. I'm going to double check, make sure I'm not embarrassing myself here. I do believe you're right. I believe. Frances Ellison is the mother. She's pretty much only ever called mom or mommy in the book. Um, but Francis is the mother, which is kind of interesting. Yvonne is the older sister, and um, Lila Ellison is the middle sister. So yeah, Idara Victor. Yeah, proof of her great agent. Because if if in the book yeah. she's always mom, yep. the agent says, my client is not always playing mothers right now. She needs to have a name. Also, mothers should have names. But <laughs> that's beyond the point. That was four years after this show. And in the meantime, she's done Unsolved, The Murders of Tupac, and The Notorious B.I.G. She was in several episodes of that. Turn, which we mentioned. Shameless. She's been on a lot of things. But she got 18 episodes in her most recent thing in her turn as Tina on Minx. So good for her. She's yeah, I believe that's still happening. Oh, good. Still on. Yeah, good for her. Our trivia for this episode, this episode, this episode, I always say that, <laughs> this episode scored 8.13 million viewers. That is up quite a bit from the rest of our season. Brian George, who plays Dr. Whitehouse, also plays Emil Flores in Grey's Anatomy. This is one of my favorite patient storylines. In season six, this is when the roof collapsed in the restaurant that he worked at on Valentine's Day, and he paid Alex to put him in the bed next to the patron that he's been in love with for 15 years. Classic Karev. Oh, so classic. It, like, I could cry thinking about it, and I saw his face. Well, first I heard his voice, and then I, saw, I was like, I know that, and I saw his face, and I was like, oh my god. You recognize him. I do, I do. David Burke, who played Gary Spencer, who is Drea's father, also played Don mm-hmm. in Grey's Anatomy. This is a funny one, season four. His son swallowed a marble, and George said it had to pass on his own, so they went home. But then his son swallowed eight magnets, and they had to go back. And it was all to draw attention to the fact that his parents should get divorced, which I think is funny because, as you noted, <laughs> Gary Spencer does not have a great marital relationship now either. I hope he has one in real life if he wants one. <laughs> Poor Gary, there's something about him in the casting room where they're like, that guy seems like he would have marital trouble. Oh, yeah. Poor Gary. I'm ready for Allison's assumptions. We kind of started them uh, when we talked about what you think is going to happen with Pete and Violet's career. But give me some of your of your thoughts on, you know, the future of Henry, the future of sweet dear Amelia and this fetus. 
I want, you know, happiness for Amelia. I want no more relapses. I want sober living. I want her relationship with Addison to be fully prepared. I want Addison to live in reality and to be a good adoptive mother and to ditch the blankets. Yes. I want her to get a really good night doula. Like, these are all things that I wish for her. I wish for her, like, no more love triangle. Like, choose. Probably choose Benjamin Bratt because I love him as an actor. I think he's wonderful. He was always my favorite part of Law & Order when I was a kid. I want great things for Violet, and for me that means divorce in her particular case. That That's not true for most people. I think in her case, like, it's time to wrap it up. And you don't have to tell me if that's going to happen. Okay. But I may, I may keep watching to see. I would definitely watch the first episode of season six. Okay. If nothing else. Okay, I'm into that. I can do that. And then you'll probably be hooked for the rest of the season, <laughs> if you ask me. <laughs> That's the thing. When I watch this show or when I hear about it, I greatly enjoy it. And I think it's just a streaming thing for me. But, you know, December's almost over. My era of, you know, TV austerity can end. Yes. Yeah, exactly. New year, new you. Absolutely. I have been wanting to rent. Well, first of all, I really should just buy all the DVDs because as we see, streaming is not forever. No. I I really should invest in that, let's be honest. But I've been encouraging our dear listeners to check their local library to see if they have them. Yeah, my library has a really amazing collection of DVDs. And it's something that I've thought more and more about taking advantage of. My one hiccup is I have no way to play a DVD, but I'll get there. I believe. All right, ratings and MVPs. I think I came up with a rating while we were chatting before. Ooh. But let's do MVPs first. Got it. So I'm a bit stuck between Jake and Addison, so perhaps you can help me decide. Jake, because of how he steps up for Amelia, and Mm. I do think it's important to note that his wife, who passed away, we know struggled with addiction. Yes. So he has experience with this. So she has a daughter who is Jake's stepdaughter, but he thinks of as his own, and they have a great relationship. She is who we saw a few episodes ago in college talking about her new relationship. That was an awkward but very sweet little little um, storyline there. So Jake does have experience with addiction, relapses, pregnancy, of course, because he's an OB, And I really just think the way that he went about helping Amelia and also like being friends with Sam, even though they both kissed Addison on the same day and like kind of putting Sam in his place and being like, why do you care who I'm kissing? I think I'm leaning towards towards Jake for my MVP this week. I also am considering Addison just because of like she's really living in this motherhood moment for her. She's in her mom era, if you will. She is. Not that she would ever wear things that say in my mom era (laughs) because (laughs) I I don't I don't see her wearing that I think I'm going with Jake who are you going with I'm going with Violet because she solved a crime straight up like valid you know Dr. Whitehouse who's the therapist like he gives probably the best consistent clinical care in this episode but were it not for Violet meddling I do think that Missy would have gotten away with murder oh I think she was on nobody's radar and I think that we have her to credit for getting a dangerous person off the streets. I agree. I think her mother truly would have gotten her on a plane, taken her to somewhere that does not have extradition laws with the U.S. Oh, I yeah. Think, I think they would have left Gary there to take care of whatever, and I think the mother and the daughter would have been... I agree. I think that's a great choice, and for a great reason. Thank you. All right, so my rating. I first couldn't come up with one, and then I thought of one. It just feels like 
when you're, of course, on the beach and you're being followed or you think you're being followed and you look back and you like hear rustling or you like see a shadow and you're like, is someone behind me? I don't know if someone's behind me. The actor in me keeps like looking back and forgetting that my mic is in front of me and I should be speaking into my (laughs) mic. But I keep like, you're not sure if you're being followed because first, like we know that Violet is being very truthful about this you know sister but we're not sure and pete certainly isn't sure and it just feels like someone's behind you oh you know what i'm gonna flip it on his head is it a good thing or is it a bad thing jake's behind amelia to catch her and charlotte is behind mason to catch him oh that's very good thank you thank you very much what's yours So most of this episode made me feel like there are times where I really enjoy being voyeuristic at, I go, I live very close to a woodsy place that has a beach-like setting. It is not the ocean, but it has a beach-like setting. I'll say that. And there are times where I am overhearing things that like are gossip fuel for like situations I will never be involved in for months. (laughs) And then every now and then something really weird happens that punctuates the day that's how I feel about this episode because I think this was a very good episode and then Amelia delivers her monologue and it's like someone has thrown a buoy into your glass of milk and you're trying to have milk and cookies Mm, like mm -hmm. that was like a really actually very shocking and dark moment so to go back to the beach it's like I have been eating a nice container of chicken fingers and someone sticks a DVD player on top of it. Like, I didn't see it coming. It didn't make any sense. Complex. Like, that moment to me was deeply felt, but also extremely bizarre. That's brilliant. I'm not sure it is. But I, think, I... I think it is. It's, it's, <laughs> it doesn't make, like, it, what you said makes sense, but, like, the DVD <laughs> player on the chicken fingers. Yeah. Like, you wouldn't picture those things together. I do enjoy eating chicken fingers at this beach-like setting. Mm -hmm. That, to me, is... That moment was sort of... It was strange. I think it was an important moment. I think it was also a strange moment. And I have had real-life things happen while I have been at this beach pond-type place that were sort of dark and unexpected. And I don't want to compare it to those real things that have happened. But also strange things have happened. So, yeah, I'll put it that way. I liked it. Yeah. I still had a good day at the beach. But yeah, like someone dropped something weird. It's like the time I was there and I learned that the Chaco Taco was being discontinued mm. only for that to then be reversed. We do still have the Chaco Taco. Perhaps it was something like that. But I think Amelia's baby will not be healthy, sadly. I think that that is not going to be fake news. Okay. I was suddenly brought back to the moment I also heard that Chaco Tacos were being discontinued. Um, thankfully, again, they have not been, but... What a brilliant invention. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I'm now also realizing that we didn't get to hear our podcast theater of the dramatic reading of the monologue if you'd like to do it. I would love to. So I pulled this out and also when I was just like going over like Amelia facts for my own sake, like this is pulled out as like the quote that identifies her on this show. So she says, my baby has no brain, no brain. I'm a neurosurgeon and my baby has no brain. I would say God has a sense of humor, but there is no God. Okay, I'm going to take back what I said. It's like someone dropping a book of Nietzsche in your milkshake at the beach. You already shouldn't have had a milkshake at the beach, Uh but it's like warm. It's Mm -hmm. getting warm and someone drops 
philosophy on it. That was a heavy moment for us. Does the milkshake have a lid or is it open no, top? No, because you're reckless. Mmm, sand. <laughs> yeah. Sand? Like, already things weren't going well and it just got a lot worse and uncomfortable. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. BHAB Podcast Theater. Thank you. Clap. Let's all clap for her. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, all right. Let's do credits. Thank you for being here. Of course. It was my pleasure. I talk about it all the time, but seriously, check out Dolls of Our Lives. It's incredible. I love it. And if you like this, I'm sure you'll like that. And if you don't, go to the doctor, but not this doctor. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Beach Houses and Babies, a private practice recap podcast. Please follow us on Instagram at BHAB Podcast and be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or Anchor to be the first to hear future episodes. You can find me at Samantha G. Harris on Instagram. And you can follow me at Allison Horrocks on all social media. If you'd like to support Beach Houses and Babies, please consider leaving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and sharing it with a friend. It really helps people learn about the show and we might read your review on the podcast. You can also become a patron at patreon.com slash BHAB podcast. On our next episode, we'll be discussing Private Practice Season 5, Episode 20. They're available to stream on Hulu and can be purchased on iTunes, Amazon, DVD, and more. If you have thoughts you'd like to share with us on these episodes, please DM us on Instagram at BHAB podcast or email us at BHAB podcast to be featured on our listener mail segment. Thank you for listening. BHAB podcast will be back in two weeks. TGIT. Yay. <laughs> Which of these people would you most want to see on TikTok? Amelia. Um, really? Easy. It's Although, so much. I do feel like Jake would be that one doctor who's like doing the dances. And while he's yes. doing the dances, like where his hand goes is like a fact of like, don't swim until a half hour eating. <laughs> Wear SPF. Right. If you have trouble with this, come see this. And I'm like fully doing the Macarena here, dear listeners. <laughs> I think Charlotte would kill it. I think Charlotte would be awesome. She has a fun accent. I think the thing with Amelia is she would always go too far and she'd get hate and she'd freak out. I think she'd get hate and then just make a video for every comment. <laughs> she'd be on there. She'd be on there until four in the morning every day. Easily.